This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Cronial contains descriptions of death inquests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back to today's episode of Coronial. Today we will be looking at the coroner's inquest into the death of William Bernard Brown who passed away in 2014 after being struck by a branch which fell from an African mahogany tree at a golf course in Darwin in the Northern Territory. So this case is quite interesting as it's not the first inquest into a death that's happened in this manner where a branch from an African mahogany tree has fallen on someone and caused a death. Um, But the recommendation that came out of that first inquest was very narrow in scope in terms of who that recommendation applied to, which I think is similar to what we talked about or touched on a little bit in the Jesse Drabsch episode, where in that inquest it was recommended that, you know, brochures and information about performance and image enhancing drugs would be disseminated but to anytime fitness gyms only and not other gyms and it wasn't you know extended to other gyms so similarly in this case the recommendation in that prior inquest was very narrow in terms of who it applied to which seems to be a theme that we're seeing a little (laughs) bit in these coroner's cases and it kind of puts into the back of your mind like in this particular case if the recommendation in that prior inquest was a little bit broader Mm. I agree that like I mean certainly with Jesse's case like Mm -hmm. I think that there should have been recommendations around all gyms Mm. and hopefully other gyms have picked up on this stuff but who's to know so well that's exactly right and yeah again with this case it's like if that recommendation that prior inquest was broader could this death have been prevented obviously Mm. like all the coroner's cases that we've read through there's always a series of events that have to happen or a series of things that have to have happened to you know and gone wrong for the death to actually occur so obviously that might have not been the case here but you also find if there's sort of a chink or one of those events doesn't happen or one of those acts or omissions doesn't happen in these cases then often the death won't occur so I think having cheated and already read this one as well Mm. uh thanks for the heads up yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like how broad can you make chopping trees and that kind of thing like yes having had the ones around schools because we know that's gonna be a really high risk environment but like walking down the street walking in nature reserves all that kind of thing anywhere there's a a tree tree. Mm. sure again i know this case happened at a on a private premises kind of so, yes, someone was meant to be responsible and for maintenance and that kind of thing, but it becomes more challenging when it's, um, when it's that broad as well. So I guess the coroner does have to find a space mm. to make those recommendations and it cannot make all recommendations for the whole broader community. It has to find a limit point. And so if that were schools in that case – you know, you got to understand that as well. Exactly right. And I've, I had a look through, cause a little bit of a nerd here, but I had a look through. So in Australia with the with coroners, they're jurisdiction-based. So every jurisdiction has its own coroner's act. So in this case, because the death happened in the Northern Territory, the Northern Territory Act applies. So I had a quick look through the Northern Territory Coroner's Act and there isn't anything in terms of the breadth of recommendations or anything in there about how wide or narrow recommendations can be. 
So theoretically, they could make it, you know, territory-wide. Well, they could like, make it Australia-wide. Or no, only no, territory-wide. Because, right. because it's a normal territory. It's okay, a normal right. territory, so it is state by state. But as you said, you've got to limit things somehow, don't you? Yeah. You can't just put a blanket ban or a blanket um, liability over everyone. So it's interesting, but it's just something that I've noticed coming out of some of these reports where you're like, oh, if it was just a little bit wider, the yeah. recommendation, then maybe, you know, it could have helped out here or, you know, maybe it's important for other gyms to disseminate that information and things like that. But in this case, like, they were both for African mahogany trees? They were both African mahogany trees. And, you know, does the coroner then say, well, all trees yeah. over I, a certain height have the risk of this potentially happening so but i think there is differences amongst certain trees as to which ones are more likely yes, going to drop their branches yeah. yeah and that's something we get into yeah. in this as well because um. there are certain risk factors with african mahogany trees that aren't present with other trees right yeah we'll explain that a little bit i certainly like thinking about other ones that we've done the holly's law mm-hmm. certainly the recommendations in that coroner's case were much yep. more or what the outcomes that happened from that one were much broader in their scope in mm. terms of they were gatherings, public gatherings of public or private gatherings of, of larger numbers, weren't they? That like were affected in terms of the recommendations for that, not just the rodeo, or were they only directed towards the rodeo? I'm, I'm pretty sure that one was just the rodeo. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Again, could have it. Yeah, which is very to easy broader. to yeah broaden that out because there'd be so many other rural communities that would have. Just large events like that. Yeah, public mm. large events or large events yep. where the public are invited. But I guess like then, that. yeah, does that come down to the coroner's scope? Do they have the ability to make yeah, widespread so recommendations? Maybe, but I guess we didn't look at the Queensland I haven't one. Lo- I would assume they're pretty like for like, but I haven't. I only looked at the Northern Territory one. As a coroner, do you want to be making big, broad recommendations anyway? Maybe they, they have to limit from a... A, a just a logistical standpoint even yeah. yeah yeah they're probably directed by the government to keep them pretty um specific to the events that happen so that there's not any of that you know overstepping your bounds or yeah like yeah you've definitely got it's got to be relevant and directly sort of related in some way to the actual death true that's true. there yeah can I pose a question here before you move on mm-hmm. around, so he died in South Australia and the events occurred in Northern Territory. Yes. Was there any issue around um, scope of the Coroner's Act in terms of him dying in South Australia, like making recommendations to South Australia? Um, so this was in here and let me just find the particular section. Um Perfect. Gives me time for more wine. Okay, so the definition of reportable death, which is any death that is reportable to the coroner, the death must have either the body of the deceased person is in the Northern Territory, the death occurred in the Northern Territory, or the cause of death occurred in the Northern Territory. So in this case, Mr. Brown was hit by a branch in the Northern Territory. He went to hospital in the Northern Territory, but then it was found that he needed more specialised assistance that could have been provided to him in the Northern Territory. So he was then airlifted to Adelaide um, Mm. and that's where he passed away. So technically, if the South Australian Act mirrors this act, then the coroner's inquest could have happened either in South Australia or the Northern Territory because 
he died. He actually South died. He yeah. died in South Australia, but the cause of death occurred in the Northern Territory. Um, but as we go through this case, you'll definitely see that it more relates to the Northern Territory just because of the presence of African mahogany trees, which aren't present in South Australia. So there mm. would really be no point of discussing yeah. this in relation to South Australia because more progress could be made in the Northern Territory in terms of that. But yes, both jurisdictions would have had jurisdiction and i assume whoever was reporting this death you know from the hospital when he passed away you've got to fill out a bunch of paperwork around reporting it to the coroner right. i assume they probably started by reporting it to south australia and then south australia mm. would have been like, probably there's, there's was no like point of us looking at this. yeah we're going to refer it on to uh, northern territory one would assume they communicate with each other you would think you'd so. hope <laughs> you never know with these sorts of things do you so moving on to Mr. Brown, he was born in 1951 in Perth in Western Australia and he relocated to Darwin in 1980. He was a truck driver and he also carried out demolition for mining companies. He had a wife and a daughter and was an avid golf and baseball player who lived a very active and health conscious lifestyle. He was a healthy and fit 62 year old man um, with no significant health issues at the time of his passing. This death was referred to the coroner as it was unexpected. So on the 6th of June 2014, Mr Brown left home at around 3.45pm and he headed off to the Gardens Park Golf Links to play a round of golf with his friend Mr Craig Menzies. Mr Menzies was a close friend of Mr Brown's. They had known each other for around 25 years and they regularly played golf together. That day, Mr Brown and Mr Menzies walked together to the first tee at approximately 4.05pm when they got to the first tee, Mr Menzies rested against the tee to put on his shoes while Mr Brown stood waiting on a nearby paved area. While putting on his shoes, Mr Menzies heard what he described as a very short crack from a branch and then he turned around and saw a large branch from an African mahogany tree fall onto Mr Brown. Mr Menzies said that the tree branch knocked Mr Brown's head to one side and then it hit around where your neck kind of joins your shoulder and then it pushed Mr. Brown to the ground. Mr. Menzies rushed over to Mr. Brown along with other bystanders that were there on the golf course and they observed that Mr. Brown was still conscious and he had a big graze to the side of his head. At that point, no one attempted to move Mr. Brown and a call was made to triple zero. While waiting for the ambulance, Mr. Brown said that he had no feeling in his hands and feet and was having trouble breathing. That doesn't sound like a good sign. No, no. but he is conscious, so... True. That's, I guess, a, would have been a bit hopeful, I'm sure. So he was transferred to the Royal Darwin Hospital, where he was recorded as having worsening respiratory failure and acidosis, and as a result, he was intubated. A CT scan revealed a scalp hematoma and several fractures, including to the C3 and C4 and T5, 6 and 7 vertebrae. So I may be helpful if Georgie explains exactly what those are and what uh, consequences are of having damage to those vertebrae might be. So you mentioned worsening respiratory distress that it mm -hmm. just essentially is having trouble breathing. Yeah. And it sounds like from those injuries, that's as a result of him having spinal injuries ranging from high neck through to uh, what was the lowest one? It T was T6, T7? 7, 567. 567. And it basically just means that he's got injuries that are impacting his spinal cord and basically the highest one, if it's a full spinal cord injury, is going to be the level at which you lose everything below. And so T6-7 right. 
if he hadn't have had the C345 injury, then you'd lose below the T67. But because he's got the highest at 345, that's what's causing all of the rest of the not being able to feel his hands and feet. Right. So your C spine is the sort the of neck. spine that's running behind your neck. And then the T yep. spine, is that the next one? It's like the yes. mid-back. So um, cervical, thoracic and lumbar. So mm-hmm. cervical being uh, in your neck, thoracic being uh, your chest and where your ribs are, and then mm-hmm. your lumbar being below that down to your pelvis okay. and hips. So the highest ones in your neck control higher parts of your body, like your breathing, but the movement of your arms as well. And so anything below that is then controlled by your thoracic and lumbar and also have impacts on how you feel in um, sensation as well. So the feeling in your fingers and that kind of thing, along with the movements of your muscles. And C345 primarily are also involved in the movement of your diaphragm, so your ability to breathe in and out. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense then if he's got an injury to C3 and 4 that all the symptoms mm. he was experiencing, difficulty breathing, couldn't feel his hands and feet. Yeah. All point to a spinal cord injury at that top sort of cervical Absolutely. And so if it was higher... He, he wouldn't be able to breathe. In the coroner's report, they sort of say because of these injuries at the time, quadriplegia was strongly suspected from below the shoulders. And because of that, that's why Mr. Brown was then transported down to the Royal Adelaide Hospital because they mm. had better equipment and he was able to get more specialised assessment and treatment. Yeah. Down in Adelaide, they just didn't have those facilities at Darwin at that point in time. So Mr. Brown was transported down to the RA, the Royal Adelaide Hospital, the next day, the day after his injury, and he was transported by care flight facilities. At the Royal Adelaide Hospital, another CT scan was performed, but also an MRI, which again showed that scalp hematoma, but he didn't have any brain injury. It also showed that same spinal fracture to the C3, 4 and lower down, but also found an additional fracture to the C7, T1 vertebrae, so in between. Man, he's that's a lot of fractures. Mm, yeah, that's so a lot all of way, all the way down is yeah from mid neck mid neck to, to mid back yeah essentially. T four is the level of your nipples. Um. <laughs> that's a nice fun fact. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All um, right. So he's got above nipple and below nipple fractures. Basically. Yes. Yeah. 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 Does yeah, that differ between men and women? No. There you go. But after you've had a few kids. And you're... <laughs> <laughs> um. It's about where the sensation of your skin goes and that actually goes around. So the level of your nipples is still going to be innovated by that nerve. Oh, no yeah, true. Yep. Um, it's probably the better way of describing Yeah, that. okay, so it's not um, actually level, level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's why it doesn't matter. Sorry, I'm thinking of, of the skin sensation The anatomy of it. I can show you a yep. pretty picture if you'd like. <laughs> On top of those fractures, they also found that both his lungs were partially collapsed. Ooh. So that makes his breathing even Even harder harder. as well. Yeah, that's right. So a spinal MRI was also taken and showed ligamentous injury with significant cervical spine cord edema and hemorrhage from the C2 to the C5. Right, so bleeding throughout the spinal cord, which again is also indicative of being a significant injury that's going to be Mm. hard to recover from. Okay. So the next day, Mr. Brown underwent surgery where the injury to a C three and four disc was viewed and the doctors confirmed it would cause quadriplegia. It was determined that his prospects of rehabilitation were unfavourable and that he would require long-term respiratory support, including a tracheostomy. 
with all of this in view, and obviously Mr Brown and his family spoke heavily with his medical team, and it was his wish that he did not want to continue with the medical intervention that he was receiving. So it was determined by his medical team that Mr Brown was of sound mind mm-hmm. when he made that call, and also due to the low chances of any form of recovery from his state at that time, Mr Brown was palliated and extubated at 2.45pm on the 12th of June 2014, which is about six days after his injuries. He was pronounced dead at 4pm that same day. The cause of death was listed as a cervical spinal injury. So I thought it might be a little bit helpful to give some background about African mahogany trees in Darwin. So This particular tree was introduced to the Northern Territory sometime in the late 1950s or early 60s. But in 1974, a Category 5 cyclone, Cyclone Tracy, came along and hit Darwin and pretty much flattened the entire city. So the city had to be rebuilt from scratch, which included needing to plant new vegetation. So after Cyclone Tracy, it was decided that a number of African mahogany trees would be planted. This particular species was chosen because it grows very quickly and provides a good amount of shade, both of which are important for rebuilding a city that's got a hot tropical climate where trees are needed for shade to sort of cool down footpaths and roadways and things like that. Um, As the name suggests, African mahogany trees are native to West Africa and therefore they're dry climate trees, although they do grow really well in the tropics. However, because they're not endemic to monsoonal climates, this means that the trees grow a lot faster in tropical climates and growth tends to be sort of more widespread than it would be if it was drying and growing in its native dry climate. Yeah, it makes sense. So its branches are going to be bigger. Its branches are going to be bigger. It and grows longer. faster. Mm. It's got out water more. supply, right? Correct. Essentially. Okay. That's correct. Um, so obviously this is attractive to a city that's rebuilding. You want... Vegetation to to grow quickly and, um, you know, nice and shady and things like that. Fair. Um, But also this means that a lot of the African mahogany trees around Darwin are, you know, 40, 50 years old um, at this point because the majority of them were planted 75, 74, 75 after the cyclone. So they are also quite old. Um, And this includes the tree that was involved in the death of Mr. Brown. So although it's got these benefits, there are obviously associated risks, particularly when grown in those monsoonal climates. Um, They're canopies, so the leaves um, become very dense because of the rain. Um, So the trees can become very top-heavy, which in theory puts the branches at more risk of breaking. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants a top-heavy tree. No, I don't think it's ideal. And also the tree itself has a very shallow root system which is fine again in a dry climate, but in a tropical climate during the wet season where there's a lot of rain, the soil becomes really saturated and loose. And then with winds, the tree's really Mm. prone to just completely falling over because they've got no anchor to hold them down at that point. Um, Of course, these risks can be mitigated somewhat with maintenance, but that's not always the case. So as we mentioned before, this was not the first inquest into a death as a result of a falling branch from a mahogany tree in the Northern Territory. So this particular inquest, the death happened in 2014, but the inquest was in 2016. Um, But in 2008, there was another inquest carried out by the same coroner uh, into the death of a young boy, Aidan Bott, who was struck by a falling branch of an African mahogany tree while he was sitting in his schoolyard in Darwin. 
So one of the recommendations made by the coroner following that inquest was that these trees should be inspected and maintained at least once every six months by a qualified arborist. But it should be noted that as the death in the prior inquest occurred in a schoolyard, that recommendation was limited to inspection and maintenance of trees that were in schoolyards and didn't extend any further. How frustrating would it have been to be the coroner working on the Mm. same concept of a case? As we already discussed, like, yeah, how much could the coroner have widened or limited that That's recommendation? Yeah. yeah, and what would have been the impact? You just don't know. It's a bunch yeah. of what-if questions, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the fact that it was the same coroner. Mm-hmm. Is... There's only one coroner in Darwin. So. Yeah, but I mean, it, yeah. that was, what, eight years in between. The coroner yeah. may have moved on by then. but No, it was the same person. Yeah, wow. That would have been so frustrating for them. So... The Gardens Parks Golf Links is a golf course that's located on the fringe of the Darwin CBD on land that's owned by the City of Darwin, which is the local government entity that owns and operates significant infrastructure in the Darwin City area. But the entire property which the golf course is situated is leased to Perry Park Proprietary Limited, which operates the golf course and trades as Garden Parks Golf Links and had done so for the 30 years prior to Mr Brown's death. So it was an ongoing arrangement As the landlord, the city of Darwin would conduct annual inspections of the property, but the main focus of those inspections was on the buildings and the conditions of the greens. It did not carry out quarterly inspection schedules of the trees. It generally carried out quarterly inspection schedules on all the other properties Mm -hmm. that it owned, but not the Gardens Park Golf Links because it had that lease agreement. But it became clear throughout the inquest that there had been a dispute between the City of Darwin and Perry Park about who was actually responsible for the maintenance of the trees. As contractually, it was a little bit of a grey, it was a big grey area. The terms of the lease stated that Perry Park was responsible for the upkeep of the lawns and gardens, but there was nothing specifying or referring to the maintenance of trees in the lease. Are you saying that it had been identified that they were going to become a risk? that there was a risk that they were going to drop branches. And did this come out after the fact? Is it only the the inquest that... No, so they knew that there was sort of a gap in between who was maintaining the trees. It was a monetary point of view, like who's financially responsible. Especially if there's a really big tree that you need to have pruned or whatever. That's That's going to cost a lot. Pruned with your your hand shears. The proper arborist is going to need to come along with their chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah, but because the contract didn't specify trees anywhere, mm. it was like... They're both well, saying, well, no, you're responsible your, for it's it. It's your responsibility. So just... Yeah. Just never happened. Was, well, kind of. The maintenance that was performed by Perry Park was that the groundskeeper would go along and trim the lower branches. There you of go. the larger trees when they needed trimming. But of course, you know, they couldn't really do much. They couldn't remove the trees without council permission because no one can do that anywhere so they were kind of stuck in a little bit of a hard place i mean they could have employed an arborist to come i mean yes they could have, but they didn't want to financially be responsible, be responsible for that, for that yeah. when it didn't say in the contract that they had to be and they may have also needed to close the golf course while they did that yeah so the fun like if the tree is right next to one of the tee off yeah it was next to the first tee yeah they would need to close that still hole. a hard argument to make when someone died oh yeah, yeah for sure yeah, very much like, so I'm playing devil's advocate here of like, but if they had identified there was a risk of safety. Yeah, they should have done it. Argument be damned. Mm-hmm. You should think about that ethical responsibility to individuals sure. that are along your course. For yep. sure. 
So in March 2011, there was a complaint about the conditions of the trees made to the city of Darwin, and an inspection was carried out by an arborist later that month. Following that inspection, direction was given by the council to Perry Park that two mahogany trees were to be removed and that one was to be pruned as a matter of urgency because they posed a safety risk. So work was done to remove the two trees that were required to be removed, but there was no evidence tendered to the coroner showing proof that the tree that needed to be pruned was pruned. Again, that financial responsibility seems to have propped up of like who has to pay for the pruning. Who and paid of course, for the removal? I, I think it was the city of Darwin. Right, okay. And was the pruning of the tree the tree that was responsible? Yes. Right. The, oh, okay. also, the, the tree that was supposed to be pruned that wasn't pruned was the one that caused mr brown's death but that was 2011 he died in 2014 that's correct and these trees grow really quickly in i don't think they grow climates. so quickly once they're adult trees okay and i was just time, thinking like maybe it was pruned in 2011 like maybe they, it did actually happen but the next three years meant there was enough growth again for it to again be a safety issue yeah and there was another set of maintenance that was done in March 2014, which was done by contractors for a qualified arborist, Mr. Greg. Mm -hmm. Mr. Greg, prior to doing this work, he went out and inspected all the trees on the property. And in relation to that tree in question, he noted that deadwood was prolific throughout the canopy on almost every limb, including large dead branches. And therefore, it was a very high priority for these dead branches to be removed. And in his opinion, it was dangerous to be walking underneath that tree. So in a quote provided by Mr. Greg, the estimated time spent to maintain the tree was about five to six hours of work for that one tree. Mm-hmm. We're just looking at this particular African mahogany tree. So on the 21st of March, 2014, so what? that's about three, four months before Mr. Brown passed away, three men who were contracted by Mr. Greg carried out the requested maintenance of the tree. They spent five hours removing the deadwood from the tree. Mr. Greg then went out afterwards to inspect it. And he did consider that the tree required some further work. So these men obviously just stuck to the quoted amount of time, but he thought that there was further work that needed to be done to make the tree less dangerous. However, for whatever reason, he didn't convey this opinion of his to the owner of Perry Park. Oh, that's So there was no further work that was done to that tree. It's also important to note Mr. Greg at that time didn't observe anything unusual about the tree at that time. I think he just saw there was still some dead wood around the place and things like that. He definitely didn't notice whether there was any decay to any of the branches or anything like that. So the branch in question, the one that uh, caused Mr. Brown's death, was inspected after the fact by multiple experts, all of which provided different opinions to the type and level of decay of the branch in question and whether that would have been easily recognisable or not to a qualified arborist. So there was no consensus between the different experts. One said it would have easily been recognisable, another said it wouldn't. So the coroner didn't sort of make any findings or put any weight on that because... That's a very interesting specialty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I... Yeah, look. Is, is this branch decayed or not? And can you tell from when it was attached to the tree? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. But now it's, you know, obviously not attached to the tree anymore. So what could have you told at the point in time that it was attached to the tree? And how long 
between it falling off the tree and, and there was a while. There was a few yeah. months. It's very hard to make an opinion on that, which is why the opinions well, vary limited. so much and the coroner couldn't place any weight on it. Were there any really obvious extremes, like someone being like, absolutely, you would have been able to tell, yes. and then other people being like, absolutely, there was one there was person no that was absolutely, yes, you've been able to tell, and the rest of them sort of wavered a bit. So, okay. I guess it's hard to commit to that really strong opinion as well. And they're definitely like, how often would this come up for them to be involved in a coroner's? So Exactly. Look. Well, the second time. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Second time in eight years. And, and most of the people that he used on this were used on the other. Was, was used in the other coroner's inquest. Okay. Obviously, the circumstances were slightly different. I mean, yes, the cause of death was the same. There are other issues at play at the other in one. that other coroner's report Okay, or the other coroner's inquest. But we uh, might have to link both because we've kind of talked about that one. And yeah, I right. will go into the other one a little bit more Ooh, as well. interesting. Okay, cool. So the key issues considered by the coroner in this case were, first of all, the adequacy of the maintenance arrangements for, for this particular tree at the golf course. The second was the appropriateness of the work that was carried out on the 21st of March 2014. And then finally, whether the recommendations made by the coroner in the 2008 inquest into the death of Aidan Bott should have been or should be extended to mm. cover the city of Darwin. Is he reviewing himself and being like, yes, I should have done that differently then? And not so much I should have done that. He's more like, should I do that now? Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Considering like, this is the second one, this should is the I second now be one, making should I broad? extend this and yeah. make it broader? And it was interesting because I did have a look through the Aiden Bot yep. inquest as well, had a quick skim through that. And the city of Darwin provided witness evidence in that inquest and talked about its particular maintenance program, that quarterly maintenance schedule that it has on African mahoganies. And so at the time, he thought during the Aiden Bot inquest that they had had adequate systems in place anyway. But of course, it's just this contractual grey area of the golf course. Otherwise, they were, you know, they yeah, did have doing this, all of that. They stuff. were doing all the things correctly. It was just this golf course that was being neglected. Yeah, I was just thinking it's really harsh for him to have to go back through his own work and be like. But you go through that case and you can see, no, he did. He looked at all the witnesses there. Yeah. City of Darwin looked like they had everything covered. So, I mean, I think, in my opinion, his findings in the first inquest were correct. Yeah. They were completely like he did everything he could there. It's just that, again, Swiss cheese, Swiss cheese circumstances, yep. right? Where all these things lined up. So, in terms of that first key aspect that was considered the adequacy of the maintenance of that particular tree, the coroner found that based on the evidence before the court, that there was no real maintenance plan in place for African mahogany trees on the golf course. Coroner expressed concern over this as it appeared that all parties that could or should have been involved in the maintenance were aware of the risks associated with African mahogany trees and or were aware of the specific findings in relation to the aid and bot inquest. Obviously, the city of Darwin provided evidence in that inquest, so they were very much aware of the risks associated with not maintaining African mahogany trees. That's disappointing if they were then still having these arguments around the maintenance. Yeah. Anyway. So the coroner found that despite a knowledge of these risks, neither the city of Darwin nor Perry Park had adequate arrangements in place for maintenance of these trees within the golf course. In terms of the 21st of March 2014 maintenance, it was very clear in the case that there was no criticism of the actual work that was performed by those men that day. However, it was the opinion of one expert, as I said, that the decay on the branch in question should have been obvious to a qualified arborist. But on the evidence of those who actually saw the tree and pruned the tree, they didn't see any such decay on the branch. So again, it's opinion versus a person who actually saw it. Like, And that was three months before his death? 
Correct. And you wouldn't remember each individual branch of a tree. No, exactly. What it right. looks like. But also, who's to know what became evident in the three months in the mm-hmm. like? Well, there may have been no right. decay evident, and then three months later, it'd be more obvious. So, That's exactly yeah. right. So things change. The coroner didn't find any anything yep. in relation to those specifics because it was, you know, there was no solid evidence either way. The coroner noted that the evidence given by each of the workers who carried out the maintenance was vague, but he did note that there were time restraints based on that quote of five to six hours, so that could have potentially impacted the worker's ability to keep a proper lookout for any issues with the tree beyond just removing those pieces of deadwood just because they were aware that they couldn't work on the tree for more than five or six hours because that was the quote that was given. The coroner did find that Mr. Gregg did not adequately convey his opinion that the tree required further maintenance to Perry Park and that this information should have been provided to the owner of Perry Park, whether it would have been actioned or not. Mm, Hard to tell, hey? Hard to tell, but yeah, the coroner did find that that should have been done. Uh, And in that final point, whether the recommendation made by the coroner in the Aiden Bot inquest should be extended... So the specific recommendation there was that there be compulsory maintenance of trees in schoolyards every six months by a qualified arborist. As we've already discussed, that recommendation was limited to maintenance carried out in schoolyards because at the time it appeared that the city of Darwin already had adequate maintenance checks in place. However, the golf course had been neglected due to that grey area contractual dispute that they were having. So the coroner did not make any findings as to who was responsible for the tree maintenance at that point. So he didn't sort of make any consideration as to the contractual dispute. Okay. He just sort of let that slide, but then made further recommendations. They should. They (laughs) should should ultimately. Yeah. (laughs) They they should fix their contractual argument so that then it's no longer an argument. Exactly right. So the coroner found that ultimately Mr. Brown's death was preventable had the mahogany tree in question been adequately maintained as per the recommendations made by the coroner in the bot inquest. Seems fair. Yes, it does. So the ultimate recommendations that were made in this case were that the recommendation made in the bot inquest should be extended to the city of Darwin so that there must be a compulsory inspection of all trees on property owned by the City of Darwin at least every six months by a qualified arborist, and that the City of Darwin conduct an audit of all current leases and ensure inclusion within their terms for the compulsory maintenance of trees every six months by a qualified arborist, and a provision stating who bears responsibility for the cost of such inspections. He's really trying not to blur anything at all there, right? <laughs> he's, he's, making, he's like, he's I have this... said this once. Yeah. Why was this a problem? Exactly. He's making it very clear. And he also made another recommendation that the city of Darwin should include those terms in all future contracts as well. <laughs> so he was very obviously stepped, stepped everything out very clearly of you must do these maintenance inspections and you must be clear on who bears the cost for these yep. maintenance inspections. Yeah. Both current, you have to, you know, Alter your current leases and also for all future leases. Make sure that's highly specific (laughs) in the contracts. So, yes, he didn't blur any lines in terms of his recommendations. Did he go as far as saying get rid of all African mahogany trees in Darwin? No, he did not. Surely that population would be too hard to control because then they'd be back to the 70s where they had no trees. Well. No? Just got a few final comments that might address those Mm. outside of the coroner's inquest obviously this inquest happened in 2016 but following the inquest in 2018 
Darwin was hit by a Category 2 cyclone, Cyclone Marcus, which I had the pleasure of being in Darwin for. And Cyclone Marcus was a direct hit on Darwin. It caused quite widespread damage across the city, including a lot of those African mahoganies were felled. Oh, the maintenance has been taken care yeah, of. The maintenance has been taken care of because, of course, bit of wind, no root or yeah, the rain. Yeah, fell over. They all just fell over. The majority of the mahogany trees were wiped out in right. 2018 after Cyclone Marcus. And hopefully not too many people were outdoors during a cyclone. Uh, no, by those did, trees. there was no photo fatalities yeah, in Cyclone Marcus. There are a lot of car fatalities, <laughs> that's such a thing, like a lot of crushed cars by trees. Trees were everywhere. It was quite a strong cyclone. And presumably they are now electing to plant different types of trees. I really hope those so. Ones are not <laughs> optimal. That's exactly right. So following Cyclone Marcus, the city of Darwin put together a plan to revegetate the city and it put together a list, I think, of 25 species of trees to consider planting and it placed the African mahogany on the do not plant list. Yeah, nice. Can you imagine being in the meeting, that council meeting, <laughs> where someone suggests an African mahogany and they ha- like they've mm. been in another state and they've just come to Darwin? Yeah. <laughs> and everyone else is really like, quickly. <laughs> lots of shade. Yeah. Lots of shade. Yeah, they're giving this nice case for why this African mahogany would be a good choice and everyone else in the room is just... No, please um, don't. I wonder whether they're planted anywhere else for similar reasons. Like I'm assuming North Queensland, Northern WA would have similar kinds of heat needing to have a good canopy. Get wanting hit to, by cyclones. But, but also risk of cyclones, yeah. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I just know that it's always a very prevalent issue in Darwin. Like people are very aware of African mahoganies. I honestly need to Google what they look like. Yeah, me too. I've got a lot of photos of the felled mahogany trees from Cyclone Marcus. Oh, yeah. Okay. Looks like a tree. See? And that's what the, Whoa. yeah, the roots, you Let, can see the quite. Oh, yeah, they are quite sharp compared really, to really the shallow. size of the rest yeah. of it. They've got a big footprint. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder, okay, yes, in the 70s, whoever was planting these trees were like, yep, they grow really quickly. It'll be great. I guess for me... I'm glad that in 2018 they've really gone back and been like, okay, we need to look at what's actually best for our climate and population right. and, and that kind of thing. learn from, from that. Mm, so yeah. that's really good. But I, I wonder what kinds of considerations were taken in the 70s. I th- honestly think it was we need to rebuild because like 70% of the town was completely destroyed wow. and a lot of people left, yeah. which of course is a big issue in terms of a frontier town losing its population they just need to get back on their feet asap so they're like whatever is quickest that's what we're doing yeah yeah so i think it's an interesting case and and interesting in the fact that it's not the first case with very Mm. similar circumstances to happen in a very short amount of time and yes it's very specific in terms of the cause of death but it you know it's something that's repeated itself twice in a short amount of time and disappointing where the recommendations haven't been obviously enacted. Mm. But they are recommendations, though, as well, which is the hard part. Mm-hmm. You um, would think, though, as a business or an entity, you would take a coroner's recommendation quite seriously and prioritise that. Absolutely. In terms of changes you're making. And, you know, I'm sure the schools in Darwin absolutely did. But I guess it's still a little bit frustrating that the city of Darwin knew the, the African mahoganies were a problem, but we're still mm. having a contractual argument over it instead of Doing looking, about getting it. It looking done. at the safety. And they both knew, both parties, Perry Parker and the city of Darwin, knew that this tree or knew that the African mahoganies full stop on this property were a risky. Risk. Yeah. Yet, I mean, they did do something about it. There was this 
yeah, they had tried. that happened. So, yeah, it's... They had tried. It's True. tricky. Mm. <laughs> it's all very tricky. Yeah. yeah. It seems like this has highlighted that there were delays to that because... Because the, of the contractual dispute. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so there's a potential that there may have been a different outcome if there'd been less of that dispute. And if the recommendations from that previous inquest were extended to cover the city of Darwin at the point of that previous inquest, would have there been an additional maintenance inspection prior? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. It's all a bit of a what-if game, which yeah, is it not always helpful is. to Mr Brown at all. But Or his poor family. And this one, I think is one of those ones that kind of hits home a little bit because it literally could have happened to anyone mm. just standing in the wrong place yep. at the wrong time. Yeah. That's what happened to Mr. Brown. That's what happened to Aiden Bot as well. So it's also tragic in that sense. Adding to my list of things not to do. Can't stay at home because everything <laughs> inside will hurt me, but can't go outside because everything outside will mm. hurt me. Don't yep. stand under any trees, especially not African mahogany's. 